0: We're in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. God's judgment and God's rescue. God's judgment and God's rescue. If you would stand for reading of God's word. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was opposed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority they are presumptuous self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the lord this is the word of god please be seated god's judgment and god's rescue before god makes a judgment on a people he always provides a way out for people the theme the theme of second peter is beware, beware of false teachers, beware of counterfeits, beware of the deception, and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. If you grow, you're going to be less and less and less susceptible to deception. What do you need to know about counterfeit teachers? Well, first of all, whether knowingly or unknowingly, the counterfeit teachers are in cahoots with Satan, the greatest con artist of all time. We started by conning Adam and Eve. The characteristics of counterfeit teachers, they listed several of them last week. They always bring destructive heresies. They always bring destructive teaching, something that will lead to your ruin, that will lead to your ruin. They mix lie with truth to lure people in away from the truth, and they prey on the gullible, Many follow them. In chapter 2, verse 2, we read this. And many will follow their destructive ways, speaking of false teachers, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. They always will lead away from the truth. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, when he was talking about enter by the narrow gate, he said, many go in by the wide gate, the gate to destruction, the broad road to destruction, leads to destruction. Many, many, many. The vast majority in the world are heading down the wrong road and need rescue, need rescue. We have the rescue that they need. False teachers also exploit with deceptive words. That's verse 3 last week, to draw people away from the truth. But you must remember that God is making it very clear that false teachers' judgment and destruction is sure. It will happen. And again, your protection from deception is to stay close to the truth of the word of God. Stay close to the Savior. Stay close to the shepherd of our souls. We want to know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Remember John eight thirty one. If you abide in my word, if you dwell in my word, if you tarry in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from deception. Free from the schemes and the methods of the enemy. John eight John 8.36 says this, that if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And I'll tell you, Jesus Christ makes us free from all the burden of sin. He frees us from the power of sin. He frees us from the presence of sin. He frees us from everything that sin brings into our life. He frees us. The Son will set you free. Now remember, we have have mentioned several times that we have to grow and grow and grow in order to avoid the deception in second peter 318 the admonishment is grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus and second peter verses chapter one verses five through eight or five through eight talks about add to your faith and remember faith was saving faith that's something that god does He is the one that saves humanity. We don't save ourselves. He saves us. But then we are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. And if you remember the ladder, we're climbing the ladder. And it's not uncommon for us to slip off the ladder and to fall backwards. What do you do? You confess your sin, you get back on the ladder, and you start climbing. You don't give up you don't throw in the towel. And he goes on to say in chapter two, verse eight, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You will not be susceptible to deception if you are growing and climbing that maturity ladder. Now, what do we do when we've blown it? Every single human blows it. Now, I don't know how many times a week you do this, but this happens frequently to all of us if you admit it, when we act in the flesh, when we act in the flesh, when we quench the Spirit, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we do something contrary to what God wants us to do, the very first thing, again, this is a review from last week, the very first thing is own it. Own it. Admit that you've done this to yourself and to anybody that might be affected by it. So own it is number one. Don't make excuses. They made me. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have Smashed into that guy if he didn't cut me off on the road. He made me do that. Yes, that's what we do oftentimes. And then recognize and acknowledge the negative feelings and emotions that I'm having from from the event that have just occurred. And, And name these feelings. Name these feelings. And then God will expose the root cause of your emotions. And the root cause usually goes back to some problem pride, unbelief, fears, insecurity, guilt anger. It goes back to something. And then once you can establish that, hey, I have done this, then confess it. Confess it before God. Remember 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it, repent, turn back to God, and then forgive. This is a main, main tenet of Christianity. They will know us by our love for one another. Folks, we have to have open arms and soft hearts towards people, particularly in the family of God. Forgive. If something has been done against you, have a forgiving heart. And if you have done something to someone else, ask for forgiveness. If you're in a marriage, you have to do this like, I don't know how many times a week you have to do it, but you have to do it a whole bunch of times. So in the family of God, you have to do the same thing. We offend one another. We want to keep peace within the family as much as we possibly can. And then, and then he says, give over, give over to God all that he has shown you, not only the negative emotions, but the root causes, and do not live in the past. Please, do not live in the past. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, we press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called us upward in Christ Jesus. We press on, we don't get, remember the the Marine that I shared two or three years ago, Cleve McCleary, I just came to my mind, Fido, forget it and drive on. The guy was blown to shreds in, a, in Vietnam and he could have immersed himself in self-pity, but instead he says, no, I'm not going to live here. I'm not going to live in that foxhole. I'm not going to live in that disaster. I'm going to f- forget it And I'm going to move on and use that scripture in Philippians chapter 3. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. We press on towards the goal. And finally, probably as important as anything else is immerse yourself in God's word. Replace the lies with the truth. God will cleanse you, he'll heal your soul, and he will bring you peace. He'll bring you the peace of God that passes all understanding. We all blow it. We all do. It's the condition of humanity. <laughs> and if you think you haven't blown it, you just blew it. Because you're not telling the truth. You're not telling the truth. Remember Chuck Swindoll told us, told us remember this, at the end of the talk last time about counterfeit teachers. He said three things. First of all, stop. Stop, look, and listen. Stop. Refuse to blindly, to blindly accept anyone's teaching. Always compare what is taught with the word of God. Always do that. And look, look at the life of the main spokesperson. Are there the fruits of the spirit? Is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith? Is there any one of those things popping out? Okay, look at the fruit of the person and then listen, pay attention to the terms that the person is using. Listen to what is being said and what is not being said, what is conspicuously missing. in in what they say. Make your judgments always, always, always according to Scripture. That is why when we talk about Josh McDowell and the validity of Scripture, everything in our lives are based upon this word. This word is truth, and we must know it and have some working knowledge of it in order to walk this thing out rightly, to walk it out rightly. Now, this week, we're talking about God's judgment and God's rescue. God judges. We see it in Noah. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll see it in the fallen angels. And we'll see it when His second coming, when Jesus comes to judge the sins of the world. And he rescues in each one of those situations. He provides a rescue for people who will simply believe in his son. Simply believe in his son. God's judgment and God's rescue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to look at the infallible, inerrant Word of God. You are speaking to our hearts today. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to receive what you have for us today. Open our minds, open our hearts, soften our inner beings. Help us to be attentive. And Lord, what you are teaching us, as always, help us to put into place, to put into action. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God's judgment and God's rescue. Now, you have to admit that judgment is not a happy, happy subject. It's not happy. And most people today, most churches you go to, they don't talk about judgment because it's not happy. It makes people feel uneasy. After all, don't people come to church to be uplifted? Don't people come to church to get a pep talk and a motivational speech? Isn't that why we come? Oh, that was so... He was so funny this week. He told so many jokes, and I feel so good. You could go to a comedy club and get the same effect. You know, no, I feel so good. Oh, how the American church has devolved. It's not evolving. It's devolving from the centrality of God's word to pandering to the people's feelings. That is what has happened in the American church. How to grow an American church. One person wrote this. Interesting. Pipe organs, hymnals are gone, replaced by rock bands, big screen projections, services that begin with electric guitars, full drum sets, smoke, lights, action, camera, roll them, bookstores, coffee shops, a Barnes and Noble-like place. Now, that, all those things in them themselves, there's nothing wrong with those. But if that's the centrality of what you go to church for, there's a lot wrong with that a lot wrong with that. The key to attracting members, he goes on to say, is emotional appeal that not is non-threatening. Non-threatening. At these churches, one is more likely to get a coffee and a bagel than fire and brimstone. Pastors do not want to give the word of God because they don't want to offend anybody. So they always go to happy verses. Oh, this is happy stuff, happy stuff all the time. What is missing is that what actually is unhappy can in the end make someone happy because they've come into the family of God. They know that judgment is, is sure, it will happen. He talks about this in, this in this text today. Feel good religion, all about me focus. That is what is happening today. In Second Peter, our text is, is, is saying, hey, there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a destruction. When people go off the track and turn away from the living God, there will be judgment, and that is tragic. That is tragic. We must have a heart, of passion for people, to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there is good news. There's good news when you're talking about judgment. There is good news. Before God judges, he always provides a way out. He always provides a rescue for his people. He will never pour out his wrath on his people. You must understand it. It is up to each person to respond to God's rescue attempt or face certain judgment. And I want you to hear the heart of God. Please hear this. This is the heart of God. Never, ever forget the heart of God. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and that he should turn from his ways and live? God's cry to humanity, cry to his people. Ezekiel, is; they're going into captivity, and he's crying to them, turn and live. Don't go after the false gods. Don't go after the the drumbeat of the culture. Turn and live. Ezekiel 33 to 11, he goes on to say, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn their ways and live. That's the heart of God. That is the heart of God. What are we seeing today? Verses 4 and 5, God's rescue. God's judgment, and we're going to talk about Noah and the angels. Noah and the angel. He starts out with the angels in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. There was a judgment, but there was a rescue. Watch this. Noah, a preacher of righteousness. He's called a preacher of righteousness here. You know, this guy preached for probably over 100 years. And he had converts in his family. That was it. So don't get discouraged if people aren't listening to the message. Our job is to give the message. It's their job, and it's the Spirit of God's job, to change the hearts of people and for people to receive the message. Our job is to give it. No converts outside of his family. His message was not happy, happy, yet it was life-saving. Now, the backstory is this. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 6 for the backstory, Chapter 6, verse 1, 1 through 3, the reason for the judgment, the reason for the judgment. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now stop right there. The sons of God, there are three interpretations for who the sons of God are. One are the offspring of Seth, who was the, was the lineage of Messiah, who was uh, Adam's son that, was, uh, that came after Cain killed his brother Abel. And this is supposed to be the good line. Well, they were contaminated by this point because they are intermarrying with the daughters of men. That is one theory. The second one that is is talking about kings and kings are just having their way with whoever they want in their kingdoms. The third one, which I think is the correct one, these are angels. These are fallen angels that are cohabitating with the daughters of men. And from that are coming what's called the Nephthalim, the giants. And that the plan here, or the strategy of Satan, I believe, was to pollute the genetic pool, and so Messiah could not come. So you would have offspring that were part demon, part human, that sort of thing. Sounds strange, sounds weird, but I think there's credit there's credibility for this for this position. So with that stated, the sons of God saw so the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. In other words, he's had it with this situation. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. I believe that is 120 years until he's going to destroy everything. 120 years. So Genesis 1 through 3 gives us the reason for the judgment, this cohabitation with these demons, with these women and their offspring. Verses 5 through 11 in Genesis chapter 6 talks about the rescue that's provided from the judgment. Now watch this. God's going to lay it out here very clearly. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. Now, that is, that is then. Think about today. The thoughts and intents of the world that is out there, where are they predominantly thinking? Where inputs are they getting continually? And the Lord was sorry, he was grieved that he had made man in the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. His heart is broken, humanity has made these decisions. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. Oh, but then the rescue, the rescue is verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in the verse nine, we see that Noah. Walked with God. He and Enoch are the ones that are said to walk with God in the the scriptures. In verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and filled with violence. And I want to suggest to you, whenever you see humanity becoming corrupted, whether it's sexual, whether it's thievery and lying, stealing, greed, all the things that people get immersed in, it will always, always, always be associated with violence, with violence. And what do we see today? An increase in violence and in man's inhumanity to his fellow man. Now, it's always existed, but as we get closer to the end, it crescendos more and more, it crescendos more and more. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy, destroy them with the earth. And then he gives the directions for making the ark that's going to survive this absolute incredible holocaust that's going to come upon the earth. Only God could make an ark that would survive what's coming. 120 years for man. Noah builds the ark per God's instructions. And according to answers in Genesis, this took place over about 70 years. Noah and his sons and probably some other people that helped him out along the way. That's the supposition. The rescue was provided. Now hear this. The rescue was provided for anyone who would heed Noah's preaching. Heed Noah's preaching. Why were only eight saved? Noah's telling him the flood is coming. The flood is coming. Well, first of all, they don't know what a flood is. No one ever heard of a flood. Rain, rain's coming. They never heard of rain. They never heard a rain. The majority refused to believe the truth. Why? They loved their sin, and they probably thought Noah was what? Crazy. You're crazy for being Noah. You know, he's crazy. They thought he was crazy. Again, never rained. Noah was saying what was far-fetched. It was weird. It was strange. Certainly, this wasn't happy news. The people at that time didn't want to receive it. It wasn't happy-happy, was it? No, men trusted their reasoning and ignored God's warning. How dangerous. Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah went through through all those years? As he's building this giant, he went down to the ark and you saw how big that thing was? Picture that in the middle of a little town, in the middle of the street, dust, okay? And all the people looking at Noah and going, you're crazy. And not only you're crazy, but your kids are crazy. And by the way, their wives are crazy. Now, yeah, you can just imagine the ridicule that they took. But the day came, the day came when Noah and his family entered the ark, and God shut the door. There was a day when there would be no more last chances. No more last chances. Genesis seven fourteen for those that entered, entered male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. This wasn't to imprison him. This was to protect him, to keep them safe. There is a day. There is a day for every human when rescue is impossible, and God shuts the door, and judgment is sure. But it's only, only, only after a prolonged period of grace when God draws. Remember in John 8, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The Father is drawing people to himself. In John 16, verse 8 or so, it says, the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So you have God drawing, God convicting, God pulling people towards himself constantly. But when that is ignored and rejected, the judgment comes and the door is shut. Jesus Christ, remember this, will deliver us and shelter us from the wrath that is to come. 1 Peter chapter 3, we saw these words. We saw these words talking about the ark and Noah and that sort of thing. Who formerly, 320, who formerly were disobedient when once in the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through the water. The ark is a type of Christ a picture of Christ a picture of anyone who gets into the ark of safety will be saved but the next verse talks us about the anti type which is the real deal the anti type is the real thing talking about Jesus there is also an anti type the real deal which now saves us and then he says baptism a lot of people say oh you have to be water baptized that's not what this is talking about this is baptism of the Spirit, being immersed into, in, in, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, in First Corinthians twelve thirteen, at the time of salvation, we are immersed into Christ. The removal of the filth of the flesh that happens when we are immersed into the in, in Christ. But the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the ark of safety is the Lord Jesus, and anyone who will avail himself of that safe place will indeed be saved will indeed be saved. That was Noah. At the time of Noah, the whole earth was flooded. Every human was destroyed, except for Noah and his family. God always makes an escape for his people. But you must take his escape. Do it his way, not your way. Okay? That was Noah. What about the angels that sinned, that were cast into Tartarus? Now, this is a place, Tartarus is a place where Most of the evil angels were confined. This is the evil, most evil of the evils. And I believe this is the Genesis chapter six, one through three guys that left their proper order or their proper domain. Now, the reason I say that is in Jude verse six, we see these words, we see these words and the angels who did not keep their proper domain or their proper order. See, God is a God of order. And even in the demonic realm, they can only do what God permits them to do within their evilness. They can't just randomly do whatever they want to do. There are certain constraints that they have to follow. These were so evil, they says we're not going to listen to God. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And God says, oh, really? And he throws those guys into the darkest of darkest Tartarus, and they are confined forever. These guys, he has left, they left their proper domain. They left their proper abode. And he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Those are the angels that are in Tartarus. They are excluded from doing Satan's work. They are confined until the final judgment when they'll be thrown into the lake of fire forever. That's those angels. The Jude 6. They left their proper domain. They cohabitated with the daughters of men. And God says, no way. Now, I want you to think about something. There's a principle here. There's a principle here. All of God's higher creation, angels and humans, he has given the ability to choose contrary to him. We call that contrary choice. And each group has their time of testing. For the angels, theirs was sometime in the past, a third of them chose to go with Satan. That's how charismatic this, this Satan the this Satan Lucifer is and name became Satan uh, once he was once he, the rebellion came. one third of the angelic realm in the presence of God chose to go with Satan and they were booted out of heaven in Revelation chapter 12 verse three through four it says a third of them were, 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 went with him. That was the, that was the angelic realm. Their time of testing was when they chose to go with Satan or chose to stay with God. Those who chose to stay with God in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 21, these are the two thirds that pass the test. These are called elect angels, never to rebel again. There'll never be another rebellion in heaven. Okay? So, brings us down to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are mankind's representative. Adam and Eve represented all of humanity. If they pass their test, one single prohibition one do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't do it in the day that you eat of it you will die and what did they do they were tempted by the tempter they ate of the fruit and from then on gloom and despair is falling in on me that's all I can say A deep dark depression excessive misery that is what happened to earth after this and be- and because of their sin, Their sin was credited to each one of us. We see that in Romans 5.12. For by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death passed upon all men because all men have sinned. Our 70-year life, hear this, our 70-year life, our time of testing will determine, will we receive the rescue that God has afforded to humanity, or will we say, no, I'll do it my way. I'll go my way. I'll do it my way. Will we receive the Lord Jesus Christ or will we reject him? Will I commit myself to him and put my trust in him or will I say no? God provided Noah a rescue, which was the ark. He provided a rescue. God's rescue for all humanity is Jesus Messiah. All humanity has the opportunity to be saved. God's judgment for humanity are those who refuse his rescue, who refuse his son and say, I will do it, again, my way. They have a better way. And they have been duped by the master deceiver, Satan. They believe the lie and reject the truth. And the door will be shut, shut, and judgment will be sure. And that will not be a happy day. That is grievous, and that is sad, because it need not be. Remember, hell was not made for humans. It was made for the devil and his angels. Humans don't have to go there. Humans don't have to go there. The door was shut. How sad. The saddest words that a human will ever hear is in Matthew 7, 23, when he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Even though they said, in your name we cast out demons. In your name we prophesied. In your name we done all these wonderful, great things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That is the saddest of the sad. Verse, verses 6 through 9, God's judgment and God's rescue of Lot. God's judgment and God's rescue of Lot. In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example. Oh, listen to that. To those who afterward would live are ungodly. Again, there, nothing is done just for the entertainment of it or just for the interest of it. There's always a reason that something is written in God's word. And this is a warning to people, an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver, oh, listen to this, the godly out of temptation, a rescue, and reserve the unjust, oh, those who won't take the rescue, under punishment for the day of judgment. Let's develop this just a little bit. Now, first of all, who is Lot? Well, Lot is Abraham's nephew. That helps you if you know nothing about Scripture, doesn't it? Abraham was a man that was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. It was like Manhattan. It was upscale, and the whole world had turned away from God. And God raised up one man called one man, Abraham. And he was to leave his town, leave his city, leave his past life. And Lot and his family, Lot went with them, and the rest of his family, uh, his his, his father, Terah, and they start the journey out of Mesopotamia. And they stop on the eastern side of the Euphrates River at Haran. And they delay there for a certain amount of time until Terah the dad dies. And then God calls calls again in Genesis chapter 12 and says, get out. And now Abraham listens. And he goes into the promised land. He just makes his way into the promised land. He leaves this upscale area to live in tents and a desert for the rest of his life. And the hardest part of that was convince Sarah, his wife, that he has to do this. Because remember, he was a moon god worshiper. He worshiped the moon god. He had no idea who the true god was until God appeared to him. And he had to tell Sarah, hey, by the way, the true god appeared to me, and we're going to pack it up, and we're going to head out of here, all of our little camels, and we're going to go live in the desert with the scorpions for the rest of our life. Does that sound good, Sarah? What do you think she said? I bet this happened. Are you sure? Are you sure? Lot, the nephew, prospered. Because he was with Abraham, the chosen, from Abraham comes Isaac and Jacob, and from Jacob comes twelve sons. One of those is Judah, and through the lineage of Judah comes Messiah. God called Abraham, from whose loins Messiah comes. One man, Lot, prospers from this. In Genesis chapter thirteen. Verse 5, we read these words. Lot also went with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents. The guy had nothing before he started his journey. Now he's got flocks and herds and tents because he's with the man of God and he's blessed. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And let me suggest to you, God prospers his people. If we are obedient to God, Things go better. I'm not into the health and wealth gospel, but I'm telling you the truth of it is, there is a truth that if we are faithful to God, he will supply our needs. And he is generous. He is generous. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Pezites that also dwelt in the land, they're watching this strife between the men of God. Does that ever happen? They're watching this strife. What does Abraham do? The more mature person in the disagreement, watch what he does. He defers to Lot, the the younger one, unheard of in that culture. It is always the head gets the priority. But he defers to Lot. And that one time does Lot say, oh, Father Abraham, no. You choose where you want to go. Oh, no, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He takes his own. He takes He takes advantage of the situation. Watch what happens to this. He says this. Is not the whole land before you? Saying to Lot, please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. And If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan. And it looked green and it looked lush. And he goes, that's what I want. Lot had a chance to stand up and say, oh, no. I would defer to you, Father Abraham. But he did not. He took what appeared to be the best best place to go. However, the best place to go was also connected to Sodom. And in Sodom was evil upon evil upon evil. Lot camped outside of Sodom. But we see as the time goes on, he's at the gates of Sodom, which means he has authority in Sodom, and he is immersed in Sodom. Whenever you get close to sin, and you volitionally get close to it and bump into it and think you're not going to be burned by that, you are kidding yourself. You are kidding yourself. He gets close to Sodom. He makes a decision. Lot makes a flesh decision. And then by chapter 18, this is chapter 13, a whole bunch of stuff happens after this. Lot gets captured. Abraham goes and rescues him. A whole bunch of stuff happens. But by chapter 18, God comes down with a couple of angels, makes a makes a, a, a decree to Abraham that Sarah's going to have a, a, a child in a year or so. And as he gets ready to leave that house, in Genesis chapter 18, he's on his way to Sodom. They're on their way to Sodom. And this is what happens. Verse 16, and the men rose from there, looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? since Abraham shall surely become great in a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed at him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is grave. See, there's a time when the door is shut. There is a time when the door is shut. Very grave. I will go down now, see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that is against them. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So these angels are heading off, and Abraham is in the presence of God. Now, I believe this is a Christophany. Anytime we see a picture of God with humans in the Old Testament, I think it's a picture of the pre incarnate Christ. But with that stated, listen to the conversation. Abraham pleads for the city. And he starts with 50. Most people know the story. Then it goes down to 45. Then it goes down to 40. Oh, will you spare it for 30? Oh, will you spare it for 20? And then finally, Abraham gets really risky and says, Will you spare it for 10? Now, that's 10 people in a city that has probably got thousands of people in it. Will you spare it for 10 people? And God says, Yes, I will. And he walks away. And what happens is there's not 10 righteous people in the city. And God destroys the city, destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Now remember, Sodom's depravity is usually credited to homosexuality. That was their sin. That was the big thing. We have sodomy as a word that is used, and it's usually ascribed to homosexuality. But we see in Ezekiel 16:48 something a little bit different. As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. He's critical of Judah as they go into captivity. That they are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, which is awful. Look what was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Now, what is the main thing that God hates? Remember in Proverbs six things God hates, seventh are an abomination to him, and the first one is a haughty spirit, a proud look. He hates pride. Why? Because that's what caused satan to fall and cause all the crud that's happening in the world but it wasn't just pride it was fullness of food which means you have self-sufficiency an abundance of idleness they had plenty of recreation neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy ignored those in need around them and they were haughty and committed abominations and i think this is what we're talking about the last straw was the homosexuality when God says, okay, enough is enough, and I'm going to destroy them. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. There is a time when God says, no mas, no more. Notice how God works. First, he is long-suffering. He's compassionate, giving grace and mercy. And when it is rejected over and over and over and over, judgment in Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 through 26, I don't have time to read it, the city of Sodom is, is, is just ashes. The fire comes out, they are ashes. The people are destroyed. Lot and his family are told to get out, actually have to be encouraged to leave, to be encouraged to leave, and don't look back. The one They have one prohibition, don't look back, and lo and behold, Mrs. Lot, striding out of the city, Besides, that she wants to look back. She turns into a pillar of salt. Do you know that a lot of people say, I can't believe this Bible. Pillar of salt? You have to be kidding me. I'm thinking, that's nothing. Because God went, breathed everything into existence. That's something. A pillar of salt? Nothing. And you're questioning the validity of God's word because of a pillar of salt? Excuse me. Lot's life was very compromised, but it was viewed as righteous. Why is that? He had a compromise, he had a very he was in Sodom. He had He had all kinds of things that he did that were improper. John MacArthur gives us some enlightenment into this. He was righteous as all the saved are by faith in the true God. Righteousness was imputed to him or credited to him, by grace through faith, just as it was to Abraham. Lot had spiritual weakness that was incredible. Immorality, drunkenness, his heart was in Sodom, he, but yet he hated the sins of the culture. But yet he was immersed in it volitionally. Isn't that something? I hate what's going on around me, but oh, I think I want to stay here. You know, that, that, was, that was the attitude. Lot's righteousness was based upon what Christ did for him, future not what he did for Christ it was based on faith not on what he did but what God has done that's why any of us are saved the truth is in verse 9 the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation he delivered noah he delivered lot and he delivered each one of us that said yes to the lord jesus christ said yes to the lord jesus christ the uh, now think about this the unjust of this he reserves the unjust under punishment for the day for, the, for that day, the uh, day of judgment. The unjust are all who reject God's rescue and reject his son. It doesn't happen easily. It has to go through a long, lengthy process before God says, okay, the door is shut. Because we know from Scripture when we know from our own lives that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger abounding in love he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to his, our iniquities but by his mercy he has saved us if that that is each one of our stories here that's the truth that's the truth after giving examples of judgment and rescue of noah and lot peter addresses the counterfeit teachers you guys aren't going to get away from it that's exactly what he's going to say here in verses 10 and 11 And he transitions to these guys, and especially those who walk according to the flesh. He is talking about the counterfeit teachers in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, that is the angelic realm, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now watch this, the characteristic of false teachers universal, flesh-driven, unclean, despise authority, presumptuous, self-willed, and then have the hubris, the arrogance, to think and speak evil of the angelic realm who they are under, at least at this time. Now, we will be judging angels in the future, but that's in our glorified state. Right now, they are very much more powerful than us. They are spirit beings. They are spirit beings, and we, we are spirit beings too, but we aren't all that we're going to be until we get glorified. Okay? The problem with the with the false teachers, the counterfeits, is that they are full of themselves. They are full of self. Now, there was twisted thinking then, and there is twisted thinking now. Twisted thinking then. Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. And it sounds like it was bad then, and I believe it's gotten worse because communication, technology, the dissemination of the evil is much more rapid than it was in that, those days. Much more rapid. Communication and technology allow those of like-mindedness throughout the world to stir up trouble, to confuse people's thinking. Charlie Garrett says this, whereas trouble in earlier times was localized and contained. Remember, communication was very slow, very slow. Today, people in the U.S. can stir up trouble in Egypt that day. Someone at his computer in France can email whatever perverted thing he dreamt up to people in 100 com- countries. Disobedience and despising of authority are practiced and expanded upon in blogs and at news centers around the globe instantly. Lies and untruth, lies and untruth, all over the world disseminated. Never been a time like this. He goes on to say that societies promote abortion as if the life conceived had no value, but they forgive murderers who rape and mutilate their victims before killing them. All of this twisted and unhealthy thinking can be traced back to the despising of the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. You remember, there's a kingdom coming, folks, that will put an end to all of the counterfeits, all of the lies, all of the untruths, both human and demonic, that are involved in this. Jesus' thousand-year millennial kingdom, where the righteous will reign. Now, if there's ever a time for a hip-hip-hooray and amen, let's hear it. Amen, the king is coming. The king is coming to get us out of this. Yes. The counterfeits will be judged. Folks, the angels were judged. Noah's world was judged. Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. The counterfeit teachers will be judged. And all of those who reject the Lord Jesus tragically will be judged. They don't get into the ark of safety tragically. In conclusion, God's judgment and God's rescue. Remember, prior to God judging, He always provides a rescue for His people. He is Gracious, gracious, gracious. He did it for Noah. He did it for Lot. He does it for us who believe. A way out. And I think the greatest rescue that the church will ever, 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 ever experience is that day when we hear the shofar. The trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we shall be caught up in the air, and we will be with our Lord. That's called the rapture of the church. And we believe that. We're getting out of here. Getting out of here. Remember that rescue is for us. We will not go through the wrath. And remember this we are living in unprecedented times. 24 7, deception is coming into your world and into your life and into your mind. The world is growing darker. Deception abounds. Evil is on the rise. Remember, whenever, ever, ever you remove God from a culture, evil flourishes. You cannot have God as the centrality of a people. And evil flourish. It's always diminished. It's always stamped down. But when you take God and throw him out, then evil and violence, like it was in Genesis, becomes more and more and more prominent. Lying signs and wonders from the Antichrist are on the horizon. Deception abounds. The world will be duped by this person with the lying signs and wonders. God will not allow his people to suffer wrath. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 and 11, Let me read it to you. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, some people believe this is the the eternal wrath of being separated from God forever, but I think it can also mean the wrath of the tribulation period. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're here or whether we're dead going through this, we should live together with him. I think this is alluding to the rapture. Therefore, watch what he says. Watch what he says. Therefore, comfort each other and edify or build one another up just as you also are doing. As you see the things getting worse, comfort one another, edify one another, build one another up. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. We're going to escape the wrath. If you're a Christian The greatest, most exciting times are ahead for us. We are living in the most dynamic time that you could live on earth. The time when Jesus Christ could actually come back. He he wasn't going to be able to come back until at least our time. Now, it could be a long time into the future, but I'm at least excited that we qualify. Israel is in the land, and humanity can totally destroy themselves. Remember, 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 God's compassion will result in the rescue of all believers, and God's judgment will result in the punishment of all unbelievers. For Christians, our eternal condemnation and our punishment was taken upon Jesus on the cross. All of our punishment, all of our condemnation. That is why it says in Romans chapter 5, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It all went on to Jesus. God now looks at me as I'm pure and clean, as pitiful as I am. As pathetic as I am, he looks at me as pure and clean as he looks at his son. That's amazing. But for those who rejected that, their punishment is future. Their punishment is future. How sad. Christians' eternal condemnation was, was done. Praying, I'm praying that everyone, at least in earshot of these words, have accepted the rescue of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accepted. He's, he's got an ark of safety and you believe in the Son, you'll have life. If you reject the Son, you will not have life. It is that simple. Remember to have a heart of compassion for those that are duped, for those that are deceived by the three entities that work against us, the world system that we are immersed in, our flesh that has a propensity, has a tendency to want to be drawn into the things of the world, and the devil who's behind the whole thing. This is real. And remember to tell people the story of Jesus. Use our lives. Our lives give us credibility. May they see something in us that's different. And once we have credibility, tell them the love story of Jesus. Tell them the story of Jesus and his love. It's our purpose. We're ambassadors while we're here. We are go and tell everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, God's judgment and God's rescue is sure, but something else is sure, his amazing, amazing love for people. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is our God a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God that came here and died so that we, pathetic people, can live. You know, we go from pathetic to valuable when we say yes to Jesus. We are children of God, sons and daughters of the King. We are the bride of Christ. We are valued in the eyes of our God. Never forget that. Remember. Remember, remember. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that you've given us these examples of unhappiness of judgment, but the happiness that those who take heed that judgment is coming and turn to the ark of safety, the Lord Jesus, will be rescued. And I pray that for every person here today, that they have said yes to the Lord Jesus. I believe that you died in my place. I believe that you took all of my sins, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. I pray that for every person in this room, and every person never hears this as it goes over the airwaves someplace, that you say yes to the Lord Jesus and to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we'll be able to live forever and ever and ever with our Lord. What a wonderful future we have. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to walk this thing out. Thank you for the power that you have given to us as the people of God. We can be successful here because you dwell within us. May we tap into your power and do things your way, not our way. In Jesus' name, amen.